So you were one of the lucky ones who was able to get into the housing market early in life. The place you live in has been great, meeting all of your early home ownership needs, but it's not the long-term option for you. You plan on getting a little pop in the coming months, and while you may have enough space to accommodate both of you, you definitely want a backyard for them to play, and a high-rise building just won't cut it anymore. Based on the current market, you think your place is worth a fair bit more than what you paid for it, but you start to worry if any of that growth gets eaten up by paying taxes. Keeping your fingers crossed that it doesn't and ready to find the perfect backyard space to accommodate your new furry friend, you get yourself to our question for today. What should I consider when I go to sell my principal residence? Welcome everyone to another Canadian taxation episode. This is your host Gaetano and with me is my co-host Joe Tax. And today we're gonna to be talking about the principal residence exemption, which is probably the biggest tax feature in the Canadian taxation system. It's a feature that's enabled numerous individuals to obtain millionaire wealth status simply by being homeowners. And for that reason, we're going to dedicate an episode towards it to help explain how it works. So what we're going to be going through today is as follows. What is the principal residence exemption? We'll also be looking at what form you need to fill out in the year you end up selling that principal residence. What does all of that mean for tax purposes? And then finally, a few things that you should also consider. So now when we're looking at the principal residence exemption, the very first thing that we look at in all of our episodes is the definitions. And we'll just say too, this can be a little bit lengthy, so just bear with us here. So when it comes to the definition of the principal residence, it's a purchased or owned home in which you primarily inhabit, which basically means that you live in it. And it can be one of the following types of housing. It can be a house, a cottage, a condo, an apartment in an apartment building or multi-unit complex. And it can even be a trailer, mobile home or houseboat. When it comes to the principal residence exemption, in order to use it, the sale must be made for a qualifying property, which is one of the properties listed right before this, meaning it has to meet all of the following four conditions that I'm about to outline. So it has to be a housing unit, a leasehold interest in a housing unit, or a share of the capital stock of a cooperative housing corporation you acquire only to get the right to inhabit a housing unit owned by that corporation. That's a mouthful, but we'll explain it a little more in just a second here. The second is that you own the property alone or jointly with another person, i.e. a spouse or common law partner. The third item is that you, your current or former spouse or common law partner, or any of your children lived in this space at some point during the year. And the fourth is that you designate the property as your principal residence. So basically, when you purchase your home to live in, it would qualify to be your principal residence. Now, when you eventually go to sell the property, it'll be detailed as your principal residence in the year of the sale. When designated as the principal residence, you avoid the taxation on any of the growth in value of that property. So the capital appreciation or the increase in its value, you would not be taxed on that. And that results in a lot of free money coming back into your pocket. And we would say that it's up to the full amount of the growth of the value. So up to the full appreciation and value when you go to sale. So now when it comes to the form that you have to fill out, as of the 2016 tax year, you need to disclose the sale of your principal residence on what's called the 2091 or what we like to call the 2091 form in the year in which you sell it. So what goes into this form? 
Well, quite simple, actually. It's only a few items. You need the address of the property you sold. You need to put down the year you bought that property. You need to put down the proceeds of disposition, which is also the sale price, which you sold that property for. And you need to put the number of years you designate the property as your principal residence. Now, this is most often going to be all the years you owned it, but there are some circumstances where it might not be the case. Either way, you want to look at all the years you lived there and want to classify it as your principal residence, and you're going to put that number down. Now, for anyone that owns their principal residence together with a spouse or common law partner, you would both have to report a 2091 in the year of sale. So this means that you would each file one form 2091 reporting half of the proceeds received by the two of you. Now, for those of you who may be fortunate enough to currently have multiple properties that you use personally, for example, I know back home, a lot of friends, their families have homes and cottages out along the water. So you can only designate one property as your principal residence each year. So it's either you designate the home or the cottage. There's no requirement to write the CRA on which property you designated. But when you do sell a property, you do have to determine which property will be counted as your principal residence in each year. And you have to stick with that going forward. You can't change it whenever you want. So what does all this mean for tax purposes? Well, let's just simply run you through an example. You and your spouse own a property jointly. Congratulations. Now, this is a residential property and the only property that you and your spouse live in, meaning that it is the only qualifying property you have available for the principal residence exemption. Let's say that you purchased this property five years ago for $400,000. This year, you decide it's time to sell it, and you're able to obtain a sales price of $500,000. And finally, you and your spouse plan on filing Form 2091 to designate the property as your principal residence. So what happens, Joey? So in the year of sale, you complete the 2091 form for the principal residence exemption related to that property. On the form, you report the address of the property you sold, the proceeds you received, which would be the $500,000, the number of years you designate the property, which is five years total, and that you jointly own the property with your spouse. Your spouse would do the same on their return. Now, as the property was the principal residence for both you and your spouse, the full amount of the growth would be tax-free, meaning you and your spouse are sitting on an increase in equity of $100,000 before closing and selling costs that you are not subject to tax on. So that's a tremendous amount coming back to you. And that's just the growth portion. That doesn't even include the principal you already put into it. So when you bought the place at 400,000, if you've paid it off, that full 400,000 is also coming back to you. That can be a tremendous amount of money back in your pocket with no tax costs and really help you get ahead in life. Now let's take that same fact pattern and assume that the property was not eligible for the principal residence exemption. We're also going to assume that you and your spouse are in the lowest tax bracket of 15% federally. Yes, we realize it's unrealistic for home ownership in spots of Ontario, unfortunately, based on these facts we're using, but it's just an example. So what would happen with all the same information as a, and a 15% federal tax bracket? Well, in the year of sale, you're not eligible to end up filling out the 2091 form as it's not an eligible or qualifying property for the purpose of the principal residence exemption. This would result in a capital gain of $50,000 per person because the property was owned jointly by both you and your spouse. So it's split 50-50 when you go to sell. 
This would result in income inclusion of $25,000 per person because of how the tax system treats capital gains, i.e. that $50,000 capital gain that each of you would end up having, only 50% of it is taxable, meaning you would have an income inclusion of $25,000 each. At the tax rate of 15% being the lowest federal tax rate in Canada, a $25,000 income inclusion would give rise to $3,750 in federal tax. Now this might not seem like much, but compared to $0 and compared to the fact that we haven't even taken provincial tax into account at all, that's a pretty significant increase. Absolutely. I mean, not mo- most of us don't just have $3,700 lying around for a tax bill. And like you said, doesn't even consider provincial or even territorial if there are any tax implications. Or in some situations, if you're actually making more than the lowest tax bracket, you could end up having even higher taxes applicable at that rate. Absolutely. If you get to the highest, like even the middle one, what, 26%, it's a big increase. So what are some other considerations that people should know about? Well, the first one, and this is pretty common, is what happens if you have more than one property? You own multiple properties. Well, you can only designate one property as your principal residence in each year. You can't designate more than one property in any given year. You can't be like my cottage and my home in the city are both my principal residence. It just doesn't work like that. So that's one consideration people need to be aware of if they own more than one property. Now, what if it's a property that I own, but I fully rent out, meaning that you don't live in it whatsoever? So if the property is strictly a rental property, this is not eligible for the principal residence exemption. The principal residence exemption can only be used if it's on a property that you live in or what CRA likes to detail habitually abode, meaning that you've lived in it at some point in time in the year. Now, Gatano, I know that we've seen this in practice a whole bunch and we've seen that it can end up you know, bearing tremendous benefits, especially with the housing market and how much is kind of heated up in the past little while. So is there anything that you kind of see whenever you, know, you see these great appreciations and value that you start to think of when you're starting to go through a tax return? So this past year, I didn't do any tax returns uh, on the personal basis that had a uh, principal residence exemption claim. I can only imagine the gains some of these individuals must have had, though, given like the housing market flew up ridiculous amounts this year. But the individuals I saw, it, it was quite often that they'd held the property for quite a few years and they were able to pay down, if not completely pay off the mortgage that they had on those properties. So they had the entire property value coming back to them into their pocket. There's no money going back to the banks to pay off a mortgage, nothing going to CRA for the tax burden. They were able to take all of it back. And in the Ottawa area, the ones that we saw, the amount that went back into them got these individuals into a millionaire status. And you could determine that based on the other income you saw them claiming on their tax return. So that's a tremendous benefit and it's a tremendous asset to have. And it can really speed up retirement if you own a property and benefit from the principal residence exemption. I think, uh, Joy, I think you saw quite a few more returns than I did. And I have no doubt that you saw the baby boomers with the prices they got back on their properties, just tremendous amounts coming back to them. Most definitely. Like if it's somebody who ended up sitting on the property for, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, however long, it's a pretty significant increase if you're looking at, you know, housing prices from, let's say, the 1980s to, you know, current day. That's going to be a pretty large amount that they're going to end up seeing coming back, especially in some of the you know, more desirable neighborhoods that they might have been the very first people to own that property in that area. So mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely a big translation into 
what kind of cash can end up coming back to you and hitting your bank account at the end of the day. And really it helps fund a lot of the retirements you see for the elderly when they go into retirement homes, nursing homes, the value of their property when they sell it pretty much covers the rest of their costs for life. And the rest of it is just for their fun and entertainment. And this is a big reason, in my opinion, as to why home ownership is such a core centerpiece in Canada. I hear so many people talk about, oh, it's because family oriented. It's because, you know, they want their kids to have a backyard. I have no doubt that there's those and many other reasons. But I think a lot of the individuals, when they look at the benefits from a tax perspective, it really funds the retirement for them. So now that we've gone over everything in relation to the principal residence exemption, and then even a few details to think of when you're looking at investments too, I think we're ready for a few key takeaways here. So the very first key takeaway that we have is that the principal residence exemption can help save significant taxes, helping you generate more capital to put toward your next home purchase or whatever else you might need, such as investments or planning for retirement. You need to make sure that you fill out the 2091 form in the year that you sell your principal residence to ensure that you limit the amount of taxes you need to pay in the year of that sale and also to stay in line with CRA's requirements on such a sale. The third key takeaway is that if you own multiple personal use properties, like a home and a cottage, let's say, you can only designate one property as your principal residence per year of ownership. This can help shelter a portion of the capital gains on multiple properties over time saving you tons of money. And our final point is that if you run into issues with how to or when to complete these required forms, it's best that you reach out to your real estate agent or probably more applicable, your accountant for guidance on this. You want to make sure that everything is filled out properly and correctly and on time. Thanks so much for listening today. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen to two random schmucks on the internet. If you liked what you heard, go ahead and share today's episode with a friend. Our goal is to help our generation get up to speed on finance topics that weren't covered in school. So the more listeners we can reach, the better. We've expanded our podcast portfolio to multiple platforms. So give us a follow on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Beyond Pod, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. If you're ready to take the dive into getting fit educated with your finances, we're here to help you through your journey. We hope you stay positive, test negative, and have yourself a great day.